Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to another episode of The Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And today, y'all are in for a treat. We have Jasmine Starr, who is a photographer and business strategist from Newport Beach, California. She dropped out of law school and became an internationally recognized creative entrepreneur, later to become the founder of Social Curator, a social media marketing membership for business owners. Jasmine empowers entrepreneurs to build a brand, market it on social media. Homegirl has a lot to say about those reels that are coming up on Instagram, which I can't wait to chat with her about. And she really empowers people to create a life they love. Some days you'll find her featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine. Other days, you'll find her going live on Instagram, hosting Ask Me Anything sessions on Facebook, and empowering business owners to build a life they love on her podcast, The Jasmine Star Show. Here's what you need to know about Jasmine. She's the real deal. Like, the real deal. Who she is online is who she is in person. And I can't say that for everyone I meet who has an online presence. I just respect the ish at a Jasmine star. She's incredible. I adore her. I've also had her twin sister, Bianca Oltoff. Equally love her. On episode 64, we talk about divorce, online dating, and yeah, we even talk about sugar daddies because why not? (laughs) If you are new to the Refined Collective podcast, you may not know that we've been going for almost three years strong, and you may not know that Jasmine is a repeat guest on the Refined Collective. She has always been a believer in me and my dreams, and so if you want to check out her other episode, go all the way back in the archives to episode nine, Chasing Your Why career pivots for the creative entrepreneur. Now today, we're not talking about business so much, but about her decade-long journey to adoption, which I am just so grateful to be talking with her about this. All right, without further ado, Jasmine, welcome. Thank you, Kat. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm happy that you introed by way of the adoption process because there's a good chance you're going to hear my daughter in the background. I think it's my new normal and I'm just going to embrace it and own it and express gratitude because I waited so long for it. So there you go. Yes. (laughs) Embrace it. Own it. I I mean, I would love that because I just think it's real. You know, we're we're all working from home and even outside of COVID pandemic. I mean, you've been working from home for how long? For as long as I've had a business. So well over a decade. So working from home is my normal. Um, I do have to probably also say, we're going to get into the story, I'm sure. But to kind of like help put things into perspective is that 2020 has been a doozy of a year, generally speaking, for a lot of people. I think we happen to add something else to the mix 
um, back in January, there had been one this like fixer upper house in Newport Beach that my husband and I had had an eye on for a while. And lo and behold, the house went up private sale. A friend of a friend had let us know. And we just, we prayed, we put in an offer and the offer was accepted as long as we made a decision in 24 hours. So we oh made a decision gosh. in 24 hours, but then we're like, we have to sell our house. <laughs> we put it on the market and it sold in less than 24 hours. And what? we're like, wow, this is amazing. Okay, so it's a 30-day close. We're packing up our house. And that same weekend, we got word that a baby girl was born in Las Vegas. And we had to make a decision in less than 24 hours of whether or not we were willing to adopt. And the answer was yes, without a shadow of a doubt. And then what ended up happening is that things got complicated in Las Vegas. We ended up staying in Las Vegas for almost a month, coming back home and having to pack up our entire house in less than a week. And we had nowhere to live. So we found an apartment while the other house was supposed to be getting renovated. And so we went from a home to around, I think, a 900 square foot apartment with a new human being in our life. And so everything has just been super crazy. And we're trying to wow. trying to understand what the new normal is for us. But again, yeah. I always circle back to gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a quote that said, overwhelm is the abundance of everything you asked for. And wow. I don't know who said it, but I couldn't agree more with that sentiment in 2020. And I think the, like my Luna in the background clearly agrees as well. I don't know if you're hearing her, but she's, she's like, just like, amen, mom, amen, mom. <laughs> she's like, I got something to say. <laughs> yes. Well, and then all that stuff, I feel like one of those things to have happened in your life would have been a huge transition, whether it was selling your house, moving, renovating, becoming a mother. and then also the world shut down. (laughs) Right. Right. So like all of that at once, I just feel like it's just so much transition. And, um, I want to get into that, but first before that, because I don't want to forget to bring it up. Can we just please talk about how Luna was Ruth Bader Ginsburg for Halloween? (laughs) <laughs> and like, we, I like can't, before we like get to the hard stuff, I feel like we have to talk about that. <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, we had been in the adoption process for a really long time and we had gone different routes and paths and it seemed like everything was like a closed door at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And in our deepest, deepest desires, we'd always wanted to adopt a baby girl. And we could talk about like the logistics of why the decision was probably a good or not good decision as we completed our profile. Um, but when we finally did get our daughter, um, Halloween rolls around. And by this time, she is nine months for Halloween. And I kind of figure like when your kid is around one or two, they pro- they start having opinions about what they want to be. And I said, this is probably going to be the one time in my life that she has no choice in the matter. And so we started, my husband and I started listing really powerful women in human history. And it, we boiled it down to two between Frida Kahlo and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And my husband put his foot down. He's like, my daughter has no hair. We're going to draw in on a unibrow. He's like, no, no, no. It's definitely RBG for Halloween. So it was great. It was great. It was really cute. My mother-in-law made her costume. So a black robe, matching black booties. And then we did the lace gloves. Yes. from her cover of Vogue shoot. Got her some glasses, <laughs> got her gray wig. I mean, I even bought like a, a proper collar. You know, we had to mm-hmm. do with Bader Ginsburg oh, yeah. some decency. We had to do a good collar. So we definitely yeah. went over the top and very excited for it. I mean, it was 1,000% worth it. And I don't know, maybe next year you can do the Frida Kahlo thing. I feel like you have a few more years where you can impose your Halloween decisions. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. (laughs) Because also for me, I don't think I grew hair 
until I was like three. And I still, it's no, questionable. Kat, I feel like I still this. have like 12 pieces don't of hair. But. This. Do you know that I told my mom every morning I pray over my daughter's head? It's the, the most vain thing. And I said, I believe in miracles. I was like, for her first birthday, like I'm just claiming it. I am putting it out. And I was just like, God is going to meet me there. I'm going to clip a bow in her hair on her first birthday. I just dare me that it won't happen. I'll hey, like, you know what? Home. You know what? Just God, God does miracles. miracles. So might as well keep, right. <laughs> keep asking for it. You never know. <laughs> you miss a hundred percent of the opportunities you don't take. So just Amen. ask for it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So you kind of mentioned you had a really long adoption process. I know online you said it was over a decade. And so Hey, I just am wondering in that process, did you ever lose hope that this was going to happen for you? Yes. Like so many more times than I can count. And I want to be a hundred percent transparent and say that my husband and I did make the decision. We, we knew that we were going to adopt. Um, and so I think we were open. We started um, doing research. We thought maybe we would adopt internationally. And 10 years ago, our lives and business was in a different place and it was really expensive to adopt internationally. And so then we started looking at different avenues. But I could genuinely say that around 2017 was when we pushed all the chips in and said, okay, mm-hmm. it's 110% this is what we're doing and we're not going to stop. We're going to be relentless in our pursuit of growing our family. Where as I felt like maybe for a while, we're like, it'll happen. We're praying about it. We're doing these things. But when you just go 100 into Mm it, um, it really changed it. And I don't know why, looking back, um, I just want to hug who I was in 2017 because Mm -hmm. I think that I naively thought, oh, well, we're going to put together our book and we're just... (laughs) we're just going to be irresistible. Like who would not want us to be parents? Like we're going to love this child. We're going to provide this amazing life for this child. And then a year passes by and um, nothing. And then a year passes by. And throughout this time, you know, we started off with, um, we thought we were going to adopt through a Christian organization, an agency. And when we were um, going through the training, so we went through this entire agency training and then towards the end of the training, and this is months of training and classes. And um, at the end, they had a guest speaker who didn't go to the event. And he said, unfortunately, he had to cancel, but they gave a five-minute presentation on foster to adopt. Children in the foster care system need parents to adopt them. And it was a hard no for me. I was like, no, clearly not. So we go through the rest of the evening and then late that night, we'll never forget, we're driving down the 55 freeway and it's late at night and my husband and I are coming back for the meeting and I was like, what did you think about that foster adopt? Kind of crazy, right? And JD says like, you're definitely crazy. I said, I can't stop thinking about it. And he said, I can't stop thinking about it either. And so the next day we called and we said, what was that foster to adopt agency? And so we stopped going through the agency, the Christian agency, and then we went to an amazing organization that takes care of foster to adopt Christian families called Olive Branch here in Orange County. So we went through the entire training process to become certified foster parents in the state of California, which we did become. And it was at the very end that we were struck with the wild realization that statistically we would be ha- we would have to be placed with around four or five children before any one of those children were actually eligible to be adopted and just the idea of having to be placed with a foster child for anywhere from 1 to 2 months to 2 to 3 years 
with the same probability of the birth parent getting reunited with the child, which is what the state and the country and which is as foster parents, you want to happen. You want the children to go back to their birth parents if their birth parents are healthy. You want that, but it doesn't negate the pain and the complication that happens when you open your heart and your family in that way. And I just knew that because we had waited so long, I said, I, I, th- I don't think I can be heartbroken. I don't think I can be heartbroken in that capacity. And it was at that time that I took a step back and I'm like, I just feel hopeless. I feel like we've gone through the international options. I think we went through an agency option. We went to the foster to adopt option. And I was like, I think I'm just tired. Like I'm just tired because I feel very lost. And so we had to make the decision of whether or not we were going to go through a private adoption agency or if we were going to go through a lawyer. So we went and we met with different lawyers and we met with different agencies. And then we just said a prayer and we said, I think the time is for us to invest in a lawyer because we are a hundred percent serious. And so that is how we decided to do Uh, an adoption by way of an adoption attorney. You know how they say it takes a village to raise kids? Well, the Refined Collective is kind of my kid. It's my little baby. And it takes a village. And I officially want to invite you to be a part of my village. There are a lot of hard costs each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce episodes to licensing music and all the logistics for the Refined Collective. And I would love to invite you to join our Patreon community. Patreon is an incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support TRC for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you'll be notified before anyone else about upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward on the podcast. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to invite you to link arms with my team in sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. So even just as you're sharing that, I'm thinking of the person, even a person like me, I'm single. I, I would love to have a child. I don't know if I'm going to get married. I don't know if that's going to happen. And I hear your process and the length of it and almost like the red tape and the expenses. And part of me is like, how can you afford that? Like, if like, and so I wonder if there's people out there like me that are like, man, I would the idea of adoption feels so overwhelming to even look into because of the process and the expense and the red tape. Um, What are your thoughts about that? I felt the same way. And when I look back, I'm just extraordinarily thankful that it did take that long because we knew we were planning on adopting. We were able to, I mean, just quite frankly, I'll be very open about it. We were able to put together a savings account for it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you're you're making a commitment to your family every time. Um, so JD and I, my husband, we are co-founders and business partners and life partners and best friends. And uh, we get a paycheck from our business every month. And then a portion of each of our paychecks was going into an account to help fund the expenses for adoption. Now, it to, to, be, to be fair, is that when you do adoption by way of foster care, you are paying very little, if anything at all. 
In fact, you are getting a very small stipend from the state to help subsidize the cost of the child in your family. So for people who have the desperate desire to adopt and do not have funds, there are so many children in the foster care system. And I will say that it was with divine purpose that we went through the entire process. It is with divine purpose that we became certified foster parents in the state of California. It is but divine purpose that we spent months and hours in training and understanding the needs of children in America. Because by way of that, I was able to connect with a beautiful brilliant, hardworking soul in Austin, Texas. Her name is Susan Ramirez, and she started an organization called National Angels. And National Angels comes in to support families in foster care. Now, they support families who are uh, taking care of children in foster care because it is so expensive. And these children just need to be cared for and loved and seen and known. And so as a result of us becoming so entrenched in um, foster care advocacy, we now sit on the board of National Angels because we believe that every child in foster care needs to know that they are loved and that they matter. And there is such a desperate need for people to be taking care of children in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Now, the biggest difficulty is not whether people are willing to take in a foster child. It is whether or not they have the capacity to give the child back to their birth parent. That's a very, very big ask. But the people that we met and the souls that we met through training, people who have committed, they look at it like a ministry that they say, this child has been put in my life for this moment to remind them that there is a purpose for their life. It like gets a little lump in my throat when I think about it because I'm like, there's so many children who just need love. And there's people Mm -hmm. who are kind, good souls who are saying, well, you're here with us. We're going to love you. So we try to do whatever we can to support families like that. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for sharing that organization. I'd seen it on your Instagram. And I mean, I've, I felt emotional preparing for this episode. So who knows what's going to happen. Um, but I, you know, I, I recently have been researching about like pro-life and I, um, had a conversation with my friend Ashley Abercrombie on my podcast about what does it look like to be pro-life from womb to tomb? And Mm -hmm. she was sharing so much about the foster care system and just about how, you know, you have these situations where children are born or, and then a mother doesn't have paid maternity leave or there's, um, strife at home or there just needs to be a break for one of the parents to get healthy. And so I just feel so it's like, there are there are children, there are humans that are being lost in the system. And I just wonder what does it look like as a person to step into that space and to step into the space between and um and to do what you're saying to love. Even when you're like, I'm 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 probably won't get to like keep this child. Like the goal is for this child to go back to their family. And that's a cost. It's an emotional cost. It's a spiritual cost. It's mental of financial cost, all the things. But I feel like that is God's work. That is God's work to love, to love and create space for a human being to know that their existence matters and that they are safe and wanted and, and loved and cared for. Um, so I feel like I'm just, I'm one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you, Jasmine, is because I feel like in this conversation of fostering and even adoption, I know so little and I just feel like there's so much I want to learn. So I'm just 
So thank you so much just for being honest about your journey in that way. Of course. Um, one thing to also I, uh, to, to also point out, and I do know that I've done like a lot of research and I'm in that sphere in, in, a, diff- in a slightly different way. So there's mm-hmm. an organization in Los Angeles with an acronym CASA, C-A-S-A. And you go through a training and you essentially become like a big brother or big sister to a child in foster care. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is such a great way to bridge the gap between being uncertain, but really wanting to help some, like help a child. Like if you know that foster care isn't something that you can do, there's still so many different avenues. I know that you being in New York, there's definitely other programs in that you simply have to Google foster care advocacy or foster care programs in, and then you put your city, you would find out there's so much need. And like what these programs do, it's, you would think it's so simple, but it's just to wait outside of a child's school, take them to the park and do homework with them. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, they just need time with a human who say they matter. And it's so simple and so profound how we can easily change the foster care system. Because something like, something massive, I believe it's like 50% of children in foster care won't graduate high school. And yeah. a large majority of children in foster care end up being homeless. And it's a cycle that just repeats itself and repeats itself. And so often, simply by intercepting a child during a pivotal or crazy point in their life can have a profound impact on the impact that they have on society. Mm, that's such an interesting and empowering perspective. I think because what can happen for me is and I think this happens for a lot of people. I think of it as the New Year's resolution at- like attempt of, well, I'm either going to work out at the gym every day at 5 a.m. for two hours, and that's my goal. And it's it's like all or nothing. That's like, well, if I can't do that, then I'm just not going to work out at all. And so the the pace of the goal is unsustainable. As a, So it's like, well, if I can't adopt, if I can't afford that, then maybe I can't do anything. But there's so much space between like the all or nothing. And I feel like that's also where like change and transformation happens is when we're willing just to take a step. Like there are options. There's, there's a massive space between the two, the options. So I, and if I can probably take a second, I mean, it's clearly shameless plug here. I get nothing for this, but that's exactly what Austin Angels does. Like if you know that you have a heart for foster care, but you don't have the capacity to be a foster uh, parent, I do think that what Austin Angel does or National Angels, it started off in Austin, Texas, is that they will take a family who are supporting children in foster care. And then they ask the family, what do you need? And oftentimes it's just like, you know, Billy really wants to play football, but we can't afford to buy him cleats. And then for the month, you make a commitment to buy Billy cleats. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just, we just need a gift card to the grocery store. And oftentimes it's like they create these love boxes. So these love boxes don't come in a form of like, here's a gift card or we're going to write a big check. It's truly, it's like what a family needs. It's clothes soap, it's body soap, it's feminine hygiene products Mm -hmm. for girls who in foster care. I mean, there's so many things that you could do simply to support a family who's doing something that you yourself can't do. The opportunities are endless. It's how bad do you want to help? Because you map your aspirations and you can check them with your actions. Your actions map your aspirations. That's so good. Um, and, and kind of on a, on a different, on a different note, you talk about, um, first of all, I love every single post that you do about your daughter. It, makes me like I get emotional every time I read about it. Um, but you said, you said recently, here's what they don't tell you about adoption. There comes a moment when you realize a complete stranger can simultaneously wrangle your heart, hopeful and hopeless. 
Can you, I want, I wanted you to unpack that because I feel like there's a very real fear for people when it comes to adoption. And one of those fears being like, I don't know if I'll have a connection with this child the way I would if I had a child that came from my own body. I think that hearing that particular post from social media, it kind of made a little bit of a lump in my throat because um, it held a mirror back to my greatest fears before adoption and after adoption. So at the time of this recording, Luna is nine months old. And my biggest fear wasn't just, will I have the capacity to love this child? My greater fear was, what if I made myself vulnerable to love this child and the child wouldn't reciprocate that the minute that he or she understood that they were adopted? And I think that that was like the biggest point for me to be like, am I brave enough to be vulnerable to love somebody who may look at me in the face and say, you're not my mom or I don't love you. And the first week with her, you know, it it truly felt like an alien dropped out of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> there is this little tiny wiggly person who depended entirely on us. And I will never forget the joy of giving her a bath. And I think I totally did it wrong. Like, I didn't know you're not supposed to get in the bathtub with your baby. Like, you're supposed to get a proper bin. Like, we literally went with 24-hour notice, Kat. Like, we had nothing. We we had sweet friends who drove and dropped off, like, here's a car seat and here's bottles and formula. And we're like, what do we do? Oh, my God. And then we had a baby in our arms. It just happened out of nowhere. And I think we did it so wrong. And yet we did it so right for her. And I think that when I look at her now, I, I just think like, how did I ever live my life without her? Mm. Like, I'm just hopelessly in love with this thing. And to experience this type of love, even if my worst, um, my worst fears come true. Like my worst fear is to have a child say that they don't love you or that you're not my mom. Even if we ever got to that point, I will say the love and the joy that I experience now is so worth all of that. I would rather live the latter part of my my life in pain to experience this amount of joy. So I think it's, you know, it's like, that's what they don't tell you. They don't tell Mm -hmm. you that you just fall hopelessly in love. And then you just remain hopeful that the relationship does stay strong as they grow older. I mean, gosh, Jasmine, even as you say that, I feel like so much of what you're explaining is like, it's like the human predicament of, will I choose? Will I have the courage to open my heart to love? Right. Because like, if I open my heart to love, then in that same breath, I also am opening my heart to greater pain, probably greater disappointment. But like, is choosing love worth that risk? Right. right. And I, I feel like it's so inspiring to hear that you're like, it doesn't matter what I'm like, you are courageously choosing the risk of love. And I think in a culture, gosh, oh, maybe I can just speak for myself. I feel like there's just times where I just want to preserve. I want to protect my heart. I want to, even if that means not pursuing things that I want, because I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't get my hopes up or I don't want to make something out of nothing. Or I just really, really what I'm, I feel like I'm doing in those moments is strategizing to preserve my heart from experiencing pain. Right. 
But really, if I want to experience like the joys of it, I have to be open to the other stuff. And this is maybe like a side tangent, but I was listening to uh, Lena Dunham on a podcast. I think it was Dax Shepard's. It was a long time ago. And she talked about getting off of anxiety meds. And I'm not against meds at all. Um, But she said what started happening for her is she realized that by numbing the hard stuff, the, the hard experiences that she was feeling, she was also numbing the good stuff. Mm. And so she like, she went to her doctor and her doctor was like, you don't have a problem with anxiety meds. Like these are good for you. And she was like, I don't know. I feel like I am numbing the good stuff too. So she got off of them and she's like, I feel intensely, but I want to, I want to feel the good stuff. I want to feel love. I want to feel joy and happiness. And so if I want that, then I get to hold in tandem the opportunity for the other. Wow. Clap that up for Lena Dunham. She just perfectly (laughs) described exactly how I feel. We're told that we should pray for our future husbands. It makes sense, right? Dating, finding the right person. Those aren't things we want to attempt without God in our corner. The problem is nobody ever teaches us how to pray for our future. If you're anything like me, you've found yourself wondering, what am I supposed to be praying for exactly? Is there a right way to pray for my future marriage? And if so, what is that way? Is there anything else I should specifically be praying for in this season? Are there things I can be praying about now that will help me be ready for marriage when the time comes? If any of these questions are you, I have an incredible resource. It is called the Every Single Moment Prayer Journal by my friend Stephanie May Wilson. The Every Single Moment Journal is 100 powerful prayers to help you savor the present and prepare for the future. It's filled with easy-to-follow prayer prompts, and this beautiful 100-day guided journal will help you cover your future and your marriage in prayer. But that's just the beginning. Over the course of 100 days, these prayer prompts will help you heal from your past, grow in the present, and find joy, peace, and purpose in your life right now today. So to grab your copy of Every Single Moment, go to bit.ly slash cat, that's K-A-T, dash single moment. Again, that's bit.ly slash cat dash single moment. Use cat, that's K-A-T, at checkout for 15% off your order of every single moment. Okay, question about your adoption process. In, I mean, I feel like it, it sounds complicated regardless of the season, but then add on to the fact of we're also in the pandemic. Um, what, what sort of complications has that given for your experience? I know that you recently shared that your adoption isn't finalized as of yet. Is that normal for it to have gone on nine-ish months or so? Or is that because of the pandemic? It's because of the pandemic. So the timeline, very thankful in retrospect of what it was. So I should probably be a little bit clear about that our adoption was like a little bit of a windy road. It was a private adoption facilitated by a lawyer in California and an adoption agency represented by a lawyer in Las Vegas. Now, 
I, my husband and I have made um, the decision to not share the specific specifics of Luna's adoption story. We would, we made the decision that we want her to be the owner of her story, mm-hmm. but we are open about talking about some of the things that surrounded that. Um, her parents had made the decision to put her up for adoption. They did not sign relinquishment. And as a result of not signing the relinquishment and leaving the hospital, Luna was put into foster care. But we were already on the way to Las Vegas. We got the call from our lawyer who said they put the baby in foster care, which really complicated things for us because when we arrived in Las Vegas the next day, I mean, we arrived in Las Vegas, we went to bed and we're like, well, what do we do? And they said, there's a court hearing and the birth mom is going to be appearing in court to petition for the baby to go to you. Mm -hmm. But because the baby's already in foster care, she's a ward of the state. So we thought we're going to Las Vegas with the off chance that the court does not rule in our favor and keeps the baby in foster care. So our lawyer said, please do not go to court. The birth mom will be there and she's requested to do it on her own. The birth mom asks the judge to relinquish her rights and place the baby with us. The judge agrees with her, but expresses frustration as to why she didn't sign it when they did, because it's now complicated the matter. So the district attorney appeals the case and we get word and we just feel like we're um, we're stuck because the baby is with a foster family and we really just want the baby and the judge had ruled in our favor. We did not understand why the district attorney had appealed the case. We will never know. I think we have our suspicions, but it's all speculative. And so the following day we went back to court and our lawyer and the agency lawyer asked to continue to move forward. It got moved up to an appeals court. We went back to the appeals court the appeals court said, the child will not be in foster care. Please place him with the family. This was happening on a Friday and the state said that they couldn't get the baby to us. So the baby stayed in foster care through Monday. But because JD and I could not pick up the baby from the foster care family, it's against the rules. The baby had to go into something called cradle care. This is a a state sanctioned family who does like the middle work. But that family had kept the baby outside of Vegas for two other days for logistical reasons. So finally, we get the baby. And it is truly, we get the baby on Sunday, 02-02-2020. It was a palindrome. And it also happened to be marking the Super Bowl. And it was at this time that we started hearing rumors of this um, virus. And it's crazy because at that time, it's also the year of the rat. And it's the Lunar New Year in Vegas and they do a very big thing. And so many people, um, so many of like uh, Chinese visitors were not in town. So it had this like eerie sense in Las Vegas. And um, we couldn't leave the state because of paperwork. And so we ended up staying in Vegas for three weeks. This is when things started. This is getting us towards the end of February. So we're at like, the, we're like something's weird is going on. Like the streets were empty. It was getting really crazy. And so we prayed and we're like, can we please get our paperwork? We need to get out of the state. We got our paperwork. We drove back. And two days later was when they had, or a couple of days later, early March is when they closed everything down because wow. of um, coronavirus. So the timing was rather fortunate for us. Wow. Wow. So 
all of that complicates it. So yes, so it complicated the paperwork. It complicated a lot of things. So we get mm-hmm. back home and um, it, we couldn't meet with our social worker. So in the state of California, and it's different for different states, you have to meet with your stateside social worker. But they normally come to your house to do the visits to see how the baby is engaging with you and the family. And so we were delayed because they're like, we don't know what to do. And so then finally they said, okay, well, we're going to be doing all of your check-ins via Zoom. So we got started later on the process. We ended up doing everything via Zoom. And we finally got approved and we thought, okay, we're, we, we got approved through the state. It's good to go. But the court systems are so backed up that we should have finalized our adoption already. But um, we don't anticipate adopt, ad- finalizing her adoption even before her first birthday, which is a little bit wow. bittersweet. So it's very delayed out here in California. Wow, man. So in all of it, like... <laughs> I mean, just even just the journey of this year and the winding road, as you referred it to, you have Luna, you have this beautiful, beautiful daughter. Is there anything that you would tell the you more than a decade ago who is just starting the process? <sighs> it's going to be okay. And it's going to be better than you think. There were a couple of times that we got really, really, really close to adopting a baby. So the way that it mostly works with private adoptions is that birth mothers are given your book and she looks through books, which are pictures and your story, and she quickly goes through and um, they will narrow it down oftentimes to two or three families. And there were two other occasions that we were the final two families, like one of the final two families. And I remember one time specifically where I was just like, this is it. Like, this is it. I was fully confident. I was like, she's going to pick us and we're done. And it's a little girl and we're ready to go. And I was on my way to a photo shoot and my lawyer called and I was like, oh, the sunroof was open. The sun was shining. And he said, I'm so sorry. They decided to go with another family. And I was like, okay, okay. And it was like, I was suspended in disbelief. And I remember parking on top of a rooftop and I just cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And then I was like, you have seven minutes to cry because you're on your way to a photo shoot. So you cry your seven minutes and then you wipe your tears and you have to move on with your life. And on my way home, I had called my husband and I had, I had let him know. And when I walked into the house, um, his back was to the front door and he was on the stove and there was like worship music. I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> there was like um, worship music playing and he had raised his hands and I was like, baby, are you okay? And he turned around. He's like, I'm so sorry. He's like, I'm just hurting. And we were just like hurting because we really, really, really thought like he had packed our bags. That's how confident we were. And I think that was the thing that just, it just took the wind out of us. And I said, I think I'm tired. Like, I think I'm done. I think I need a break. I think I need a break. And he said, we didn't come this far to get this far. And uh, that it was about, about three months later that we got the call uh, for Luna. And we said, okay, we're going. Yeah. And in all of the other situations, I will say, Kat, I will say, in all the other situations, they are telling you like the, the, the race of the parents that they're telling you a few things like, are they educated? And it's Mm. based on how much information the parents want to share. And I was always just like, oh, well, you know, like generally speaking, um, black and brown babies are, um, it takes longer to adopt black and brown babies. There's like a waiting list for Caucasian babies. And so we were like, we would like 
to adopt a child of color. Um, that was just like a personal preference. And so we were just like, oh, well, what do we do? And we we're just looking at all these other factors. And in Luna's case, we knew nothing. We didn't know if she was born addicted. We didn't know um, her ethnicity. We didn't know anything about her birth parents. We didn't know her health. We knew nothing. And we just said, yes, we're going now. And we didn't learn much more other than the fact that she is uh, half Mexican and half Caucasian. And um, we had, at the time of this recording, we have tried to reach out to the birth parents. We want any sort of connection. It is an open adoption. We want to talk to Luna as quickly and soon as, as quickly as possible and let her know that she's wildly loved and her parents, her first parents made a big, bold, brave decision because they loved her that much. I would love for them to experience her. I would love for them to see photos. I would love for them to visit on birthdays. I would love to do whatever it would require to Luna to make Luna know that she is like loved and seen and supported. Um, it hasn't happened as of yet. And I'm just hoping and praying that when the time is right, it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. And what a process of just, just trust and right. surrendering. Right. I mean, I think that is so much of what I'm hearing in your story, Jasmine, is, you know, just continuing to move forward continuing to say yes when you have no idea how things are going to turn out. And I feel like one of the big experiences of my, of my year within the pandemic and so much unexpected stuff in, in my own life is realizing I never really had the control. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I had like this false sense of security right. that I was way more in control of my life and the outcomes of my life than I thought. And I do think, you know, we can show up in integrity. We have, we can take ownership for how we're showing up and do the work, yada, yada. However, I feel like over and over and over again this year, I feel like the invitation is to like surrender my agenda and even when it feels scary or even if it's unknown to keep taking that next step forward. And it's like, I see you just continuing to say yes, continuing to, to choose hope, continuing to, to hold on to, to love and possibility in the midst of like a lot of unknown. And I just acknowledge you for that. Thank you, Kat. But the thing that I want to make sure is like very clear is mm -hmm. that we all face the unknown. And some of yeah. us are foolish enough to believe that we are in control of any of it. And so like when you use the word surrender, I thought it was such a apropos word because this entire year is become like the pinnacle of saying yes, but to opportunity in equal proportion to surrender of mm -hmm. whatever the outcome may be. Yeah. Mm, so good. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much for sharing your story and just being so honest. And, um, yeah, I just, I just really appreciate you. Um, and I know, I feel like you're this like mega business guru and I, I respect you so much for that. And I also just, I'm so grateful that you took the time to share this part of your story with me. So thank you. Well, thank you for creating the platform for me to do so. You know, I find like this weird new opportunity to create a sense of balance. I do think that I've become 
rather judicious with what I share about mm-hmm. Luna on social. I absolutely talk about her and I will post p- pictures occasionally. Mm-hmm. But it, for me, it's still like such a new thing. And the thing that I've learned over the years when it comes to mixing business and personal, when it comes to social, is like what you put out belongs to everybody else. Everybody else yeah. can have an opinion and everybody else can have a theory and everybody else can tell you what you should or shouldn't do. And so I think all of that has prepared me to really put out only things I'm truly the most comfortable sharing mm-hmm. on social. And so to have this opportunity to do something audibly, I think has been like really eye-opening for me. So selfishly, thank you for allowing me the privilege to articulate how lucky I am to be a mom and to articulate the struggle that was coupled with the opportunity. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, just so much, so much gratitude for you, Jasmine, and, Thank you, and your story. And I'm Thank just, you. I just love, I love you guys being we parents. It's back. so exciting. And we I just, love you back. Yeah. Just really grateful for you guys. Um, okay. So kind of wrapping up, do you have time for maybe a couple light questions? Sure. Sure. Okay. I know we've, I know this, this year and this season has been super hard, but I would just love to hear three things that are giving you life right now. Okay. Three things. This is the most recent. So my husband and I, we're, we're not big television watchers. I, mm-hmm. It's just not... Every, life is just so crazy and busy, but stumbled across a show on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit. Y'all, it's about chess. Okay? It's about chess. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. It did not seem like something I would find interesting, but there I was. And I was like, JD, you have to watch this with me. So in between baby naps and in between <laughs> putting her down early over the weekend, we finished the show. I, think, I thought to myself, it was just cinematically, it was beautiful. Like the color mm-hmm. gradations and how they showed progress. Like here I am being a total, you know, photo video geek about it. The second thing that is truly, truly giving me life is um, the occasional splurge on meal delivery. I Mm. signed up for this thing called Sakara. So once a month, I get my breakfast and dinner delivered and it helps me eat healthy and also helps me have time to be a much better mom. The third thing that is giving me life is understanding how how, how fast time flies by. It wasn't until that I realized like there was like little baby in our house that I realized how fast it was. And so just trying to take every single day to place my hand over my heart and another hand over my stomach. And I just repeat to myself, this is presence, this is presence, and this is presence. And audibly it spelled P-R-E. S-E-N-C-E. But I also think to myself, it could be spelled P-R-E-S-E. NTS. So presence and presence. So just being super, super attuned to the present has had a transformational effect to me during this time. So those three things equally wild about. So awesome. Okay. Well, Jasmine, how can people keep in touch with you? How can they find out more about Social Curator and all the different legs to your brand? You can find me on all social platforms at Jasmine Star and at jasminestar.com. Love it. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, babe. Am I brave enough to be vulnerable to love somebody who may look at me in the face and say, you are not my mom or I do not love you? Gosh, I just am so, I feel so much honor for Jasmine's honesty and vulnerability. And I just feel like what she shared in that moment felt so relatable and accessible, whether you are a mother or a spouse or just a friend. And this idea that choosing to be vulnerable, choosing to love is a risk. And ultimately it's a risk that feels worthy. Um, So I hope that this conversation was encouraging to you. I hope that wherever you are, 
are or are not on your fertility journey, that there is some practical takeaway to choose love and to be open to the unexpected and to fight for love and, and to fight for that in your relationships. All right, Jasmine Star, we freaking love you. You're the best. And let's talk about this week. This week is kind of special. And for the rest of the month, we're doing two episodes of their Fine Collective Podcast a week. In just a few days, we are launching Afton from Modern Fertility. She started the organization Modern Fertility. And we're talking all about what to do if you at some point want children one day. So whenever I talk about fertility, the biggest feedback that I get from you is, oh, I'm not interested in having kids right now, or I'm focusing on my career. That's later down the road. And as a person who is 35 years old and really just starting to walk through what are my options, the biggest thing I wish is that I would have started researching this stuff beforehand. So if kids are something at some point in your life that you are interested in having, then this next episode with Afton from Modern Fertility is for you. And regardless if you want kids, learning about your body and fertility and your options and your reproductive organs is super, super helpful. So stay tuned. Check out our conversation with Afton in just a few days here. All right. Bye-bye for now. When you earn your degree online at Arizona State University, you get everything the nation's most innovative university has to offer. The same internationally recognized faculty, the same nationally ranked programs, the same degree. Learn more at asuonline.asu.edu.